I will tell you that, uh, you know, for us as a church, man, reaching, reaching kids in every season of their life is, I mean, it's so important. And, and, you know, and the truth of the matter is, I know sometimes we start talking about things like this, some people may mentally check out and like, ah, oh, this didn't really apply to me. No, man, it all applies to you. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, part of our responsibility is that we're called to run this race. And the problem is, for too, too long, people like me have said it's a marathon, and so we view it as a race we run along. Alone, You know, I mean, you see people running a marathon. There's not a group of people around them running with them and encouraging them. Well, this race that we run, it's not a marathon, man. It is a relay race. We have people on our team, people have handed the baton off to us, and we're running as well as we can. But at some point, we finish our race, and we have to make sure that we've handed the baton off to those behind us, and we've done it without tripping them. It's an intentional thing. And so this is what we're called to do. We're called to reach kids in every season of life. Every season of life, everybody in here is either in a childhood or has had a childhood. And so, how's that work out? It's science. I don't want to get into it. So, um, but, but that's true. Now, we've not all had the same childhoods. Tina and I had different childhoods. We had different childhoods. You know, I'll just say this, and this may step on some people's toes, and, um, and if, if it does good. Um, and so sometimes I do that on accident and don't mean to. And there's other times where I'm like, but may, you know, maybe this, anyway. So what, one of the things that we really embrace in our culture is victimhood. Now, on the one hand, let me say this. Some of that is positive because for too long, genuine victims were overlooked. Villains were protected and that type of thing. And I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that. The problem is that as we begin to focus our attention on thing, things, then not only do we have real victims, but we have fictionalized victims. You know, they, they have a fictional victimhood. I, I look at Tina and I, and, you know, she, uh, you know her, her dad loved her, her mom loved her, and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, when they were young, kind of went different directions and that type of thing. And her mom married a guy. He was, he was really broken. Their stepdad, he was an, he was an alcoholic dude. And, and you know, as, as a nine-year-old, she's leaving her house, going next door to tell the neighbors that her alcoholic stepfather has gotten drunk and he's abusing her little brother again. That wasn't my childhood at nine. My dad never victimized me. The closest that I thought he was going to victimize me is when I got home late last night, one night, and I passed him on the road. I'm like, <laughs> he's getting ready to victimize me. I mean, it did, you know, <laughs> but it, it didn't happen. And I, again, I'm, I'm being funny. I, I, and seriously, for those of you that have experienced it, I do not want to make light of that. It's a, it's a real thing for some of you. And so, but it's so important that we reach kids. You know, Jesus talked about it. He said, look, man, don't forbid the kids from coming to me. You know, kids, they create issues. They create challenges, man. You can tell when kids are around, things are messy. They're broken. Stuff's broken. I still have evidence in my house. All of our kids are adults and, you know, they have their own homes now. But there's still stuff around our house that we're still fixing years later from their presence. <laughs> when we lived in New Mexico, you know, we, uh, you know, David was our oldest, and then Daniel, and then Ashley. And I do not know why it is, but, but Daniel liked, he liked encouraging his sister Ashley to provoke their older brother David. Is that not right, David? And so David, David just wanted to be left alone. He was just kind of like, I'm just cool. I can play my video game. I can do my thing. And, and Daniel would be like, let's go spy on him. And so Ashley would kind of, she would like bear crawl or, you know, or just combat crawl through there. And, and she'd look behind to see if Daniel's with her and, and, and he's not. And then he would make a noise letting David, you know, David was kind of alerted. All of a sudden he sees his sister on the floor like, what? And she's like, Daniel, help me. And Daniel abandoned ship. And so 
I remember one day that, um, we, that's funny, we went out, got to go out of town with, with Jake and Ashley with their kids for a few days, and we're telling some stories, and one day I, <laughs> I wasn't home, and Ashley had done something to David, and David is chasing her down the hallway, and he pushes her, right? Yeah. <laughs> he says with a shameful smile on his face, he pushes her, and she, when he pushes her, she trips, and she puts a hole in the wall. And Ashley's got a pretty good-sized melon on her head. I mean, you know, so she looks like a walking candy apple. But, I mean, so here's, and, and so, so she's got this, there's a hole in the wall. And David, being the caring brother, his first thing is, don't tell Dad how this happened. Is it something like that? Was that kind of how it went or whatever? Yeah, stop crying and don't tell Dad how this happened. By the way, you were well on your way to fatherhood. So, um. So, you know, we just, you know, it, it was one of those things that, and, and I did find out. Did you get in real trouble? I don't remember. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Odds are pretty good that, yes, that happened. So, um, so you know, and again, it was just, you know, a sign that there, there are kids there. And so, man, you know, and, and they don't, you know, they, um, like they, they spend money. They typically don't make money. And, and, I mean, there's just all of these things when you think about in your own life personally, the churches can have that same mindset. And yet the reality of it is, is that we're, we're called to reach kids in every season of life. And it's not a small calling. It's not, a, it's not an afterthought or just kind of a side issue. It's, it's one of those things that God has given us that he's entrusted us with. And, you know, my story is, is that, you know, again, as you know, many of you know, I, I grew up in church. And uh, I thought that I was going to be going into teaching and coaching. But God kept dealing with my heart a different direction. And so... Uh, I eventually said, oh, I think he's calling me to like full-time pulpit ministry. Well, I ministered to teenagers for over 20 years. I thought I would be doing it for the rest of my life. And it was one of those things that, you know, I mean, you just have a calling on your life to do it. And, and just because they're church kids doesn't mean they don't do, you know, dumb things. I remember we'd go to camp and I would get woken up, you know, at like 4 o'clock in the morning. And they'd go, hey, are these kids in your youth group? And I, not, not at 4 in the morning, they're not. And so... Yeah, you know, my last year was such a privilege when one of them woke me up and they go, hey, one of these, one, these kids, I think they're in your, one of them says that you're his dad. And I look up and it's Daniel. He snuck out. And I'm like, I'm disowning him. And so, um, so you know, but, but still just kind of this calling, you know, this, this thing in me that just, you know, just God's dealing with me on a regular basis. And so I knew we started a church that it would not be an insignificant part of what we do. Jesus said to Matthew 6, 21, he said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And if you want to know what matters to a church, look where they spend their money. I want that to just kind of rest on you for a minute. We have multiple staff people that we pay to minister to our kids. We're getting ready to do a thing next month we did last year. We're going to give away brand new shoes, name brand shoes to kids. Because we know how challenging it can be for parents to provide shoes. And it's one of those, one less thing that a family has to think about. It's also one other thing that may not be a big deal to you or I, but to a kid, man, sometimes it speaks volumes to be able to go to school with new shoes on. So we gave out over 563 new pairs last year. We're gonna, we think we'll give away between seven to 800 new pairs this year. And so... Um, and I want to thank you guys in advance for paying for them. And so, um, <laughs> you know, so we'll talk about that later. But um, <laughs> and so, 
But it's just one of those things that God's called us to do. And so we are doing the Next Gen Rally. The other thing, but I want to talk to you for the next few weeks about, you know, the things regarding kids, about reaching them. Now, and again, you're like, oh, man, I thought we were going to talk about this. I really need, so I don't have kids or whatever. Well, just because you don't have kids doesn't mean that, that God's going to let you, you know, disinterest you, yourself from them and from what God wants to do. So open up your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament. It's like the ninth book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. While you're turning there, I'm going to pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Use me this morning, Father. Help me in the name of Jesus to just minister truth. Let the Holy Spirit help me. Lord, just move in here. Just deal with this, Father. Expand our vision. Enlarge what you've called us to do. God, I don't want our best days to be right now, but I want us to begin to continue to plan and work for and look ahead to our best days that are yet ahead of us. We're so grateful for all the things that you've done, for all the stories that have been changed and transformed here, for all the lives that have been impacted. But I thank you, Father, there's more. There's more. And so we commit, we invest, we engage in our community and the communities around us and in the lives of kids, Father. Let Let there be an anointing where it's not just an activity, not just a social gathering, but there's a real presence and the things that we do where Jesus is a part of. And Father, I'll say this, that I know that we have parents in here that raised their kids in church and brought them to church. And maybe, maybe they're in a season of just kind of awayness. And as a parent, man, it, it can, you can be like, man, I did all, the, you know, I, I wasn't perfect, but I did the right things as best I knew. And I see where they are. Father, let them be encouraged this morning. That the seeds that were planted in their kids' lives... That that seed doesn't age, it doesn't get old, it doesn't wear out, but it is an eternal seed. And I thank you, Father, that you continue to deal with them and speak to them, even in their time in the distant land. And I thank you, Father, that my prayer is that they, at some point, begin to return home to the joy of their parents. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So anyway, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel, as many of you may know, he was a, uh, his mother's name was Hannah. And she wanted to have a baby, and she didn't have one. And so she was so overcome with the desire and the ache in her heart to have a child that one day she was, she was in the temple. It was like, you know, being their version of church, she was in the temple. And she was praying, and she was so consumed with grief and such an ache for not having a baby that the priest came along, and he thought she was drunk. And he was like, hey, this is kind of like inappropriate. You're showing up to church drunk. You know what's wrong with it? She goes, no, 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 I'm not drunk. She says, I just want a kid. I want a baby. And so the priest, man, by the Spirit of God, he prophesied over her. He said, you're going to have a child. And she said, if I do, if God gives me a child, then I'll give him to the Lord. Well, like the next year, she has a baby. And after he's weaned, you know, a few years later, after he's weaned and kind of ready, she brings him to the temple. And she says, I'm the lady a few years ago that you thought, you know, was, was like intoxicated, but I wasn't. I was just overcome by grief. And you prophesied over me that I would have a child. Well, I did, and I told the Lord that if he would give him to me, I would give him to the Lord. And I'm here to keep my promise. I'm dedicating him to the service of the Lord. Well, that was Samuel. So we pick up in 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, and it says this, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord. Everybody say, serve the Lord. So I think it's interesting that even though he was a child, that he was still serving the Lord. That's really a different picture a lot of times than we have as Christians or churches think of as kids. When we think about serving the Lord, we usually think that happens whenever you're in your 30s. 
you know, that you've been through your teen years, you kind of sowed your wild oats in your 20s, and now in your 30s you're ready to get serious and adult. Now you can do something for God. But Samuel was just a boy. And it says that he served the Lord. And then he gets descriptive as to how he did that. So it says this, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. So his way of serving God was, was that he helped Eli do the things that Eli was called to do. Eli was the priest at that time. He was a man. And so, so Samuel served the Lord by helping Eli do his responsibilities and his activities and his duties. You know, some of you, I know some, some of you parents were maybe raised the same way. You're trying to raise your kids the same way that I was raised. I tried to do this with my kids. And that is, is that the truth of the matter is, is that one of the first exposures our kids get if we're raising them in church to serving the Lord is by letting them serve themselves, by making sure that they're there, making sure that they have an opportunity to serve. I, I think it would be good for us at times to ask ourselves, you know, what do I want my kids' story to be when they leave my house? Because there's going to be a story as to what mattered to us as a family. Will they be able to say that, you know, going to church and being a part of that and, and being a part of the community that worship together and serving, that that was their normal or was that there every now and then? But one of the things I think we lose sight of, taking notes number one is this, is that our kids be ser begin serving God by helping us. Like if you were to step over there in the elementary age uh, area right there, our kid's life, that you would see kids helping lead in worship and doing various things like that. You would see some kids, that, and we have an age limit, that would be old enough to help serve in uh, what Stacy's doing over here. Well, not only are they helping Stacy, not only helping Ashley and, and the other leaders around there, but what they have to understand is that in helping them, that they are in reality serving God. So, you know, again, that, that God didn't wait until they were full-on adults where they could begin to give towards the church and not break things and stuff like that to say, okay, now, you, now I have something for you. No, man, his kids, he has stuff for him to do. We've said this before, and some of you know this, and for some of you, it's not a big deal. You've heard it a lot. But for some of you, you hear, maybe you're hearing it for the first time, kids are not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of right now. And so we believe it's such an important thing. It's such a significant thing that, you know, at some point, again, as I talked about this being a relay race, at some point, you know, we, we all finish our race. And, and who have we left the rest of the race to? You say, well, when is the race in, Pastor? When Jesus comes back. But until then, it's going on. It's going on. Let me just tell you something right now. Um, gosh. The issue we face in our nation, that, that they're not government issues. Now, I'm not saying that who we vote for is not important, because I believe it is. And we should pray. I believe that when the family and the church does what they're supposed to do, it fixes other stuff. So, and, and here's the thing about both those institutions, churches and families, neither one of them are perfect. And part of the thing is the enemy wants to disqualify us, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute because we know we're not perfect. But, but I think there has to be an awakening in us that God's not waiting on our kids before he has something for them to do. He's waiting on us to be available so they can help us do it. 
And so as we begin to engage and follow the plan of God, there's, you know, and I'm, I'm just grateful. I'll say this. I've coached Little League sports. And for any of you that are involved in Little League sports, I'm grateful to you. The influence, the impact you have on kids' lives. That, you know, that, you know just you know, being that presence, and especially I hope it's a godly one. I mean, you know, I know for our oldest um, grandson, Eli, you know, his first baseball coach was Wayne McCombs. And Wayne is a good man, and he loves baseball. And I mean, my grandson still loves baseball, still likes playing. And I think one of the reasons why is because Wayne was so good with him. You know, but Wayne went out there, not just as a guy trying to relive his childhood and coach baseball. He went out there as a guy that loves baseball and loves kids, and he impacted them in that way. And I think that was a work of God that took place. And I think the same thing happens, not just when sports, but some of you are engaged like in things like cheerleaders, and you're engaged in band and other social programs and outreaches. And I'm not minimizing or diminishing those things at all. I think they can be a calling that you do. But I also think that church doesn't take backseat to any of those things. And the value and the significance of what takes place in church is so important that I can, without hesitation, challenge us to be engaged in the lives of kids, not just into what takes place beyond these walls, but what takes place inside these walls. It makes a difference. You make a difference. And so right here we see that God used Samuel, that he, he, Samuel was able to serve the Lord and wasn't even aware at the time that that's what he was doing. But he served the Lord by assisting Eli. It's very specific. It's one of the very first places that our kids begin to be involved in God's work, his stuff, his things. And so he served the Lord by assisting Eli. So our kids begin serving God by helping us. Let's keep reading. So um, it says, uh, so it says, now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. So Samuel, this boy, he's, he's serving. And so apparently he's got a bed in this one part of the temple. And he hears this voice go, Samuel. And he kind of, he, he awakens himself. And he thinks, it must be Eli. Because he didn't recognize, you know, it was like, he didn't know that it was God at the time speaking to him. So he runs in. I don't know what that conversation was like, whether Eli was glad to hear from him, or if Eli's an older guy, as you get older, you realize you kind of sleep in shifts. And so, you know, he was like, he's like, yeah, did you call me? And Eli's like, no, man, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Go back to bed. Bad pizza or something. Anyway, so he goes back to bed, and he says, um, he said, what is it? He got up and, uh, and so he said, suddenly the Lord called out Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again. Everybody say again. Samuel, uh, again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So he didn't recognize it was God talking to him, but I think there's something really important that we have to hang on to. And I, I really want you not just to hear this as information, but I want it to sink in your spirit. And it's this right here. God speaks to our kids. He deals with them about their lives. He sees them. He speaks to them. 
I've shared, again, my story's different than yours, but having been raised in church, I think about different seasons of my life. And at the time now, I look back and it was God dealing with me, convicting me. I remember when I was about 12 years old, I began to have an awareness of the voice of my conscience. And that's a lot of times is the voice that, you know, that, that God wants to use to speak to us on the inside. And so that's why we need to keep it as pure as we can. But I, I didn't know at the time that it was him. I just knew that I was dealing with things in my life that I'd never dealt with before. I remember one day I, I sat in church. It was, we were going to Redeemer Lutheran and just began to have some struggles that you do at 12 and 13. And I can't remember what was going on, why I was there by my, in this area by myself. But I just kind of sat in a pew. And I remember there's a stained glass window, just this picture. I think it was like of Jesus holding a lamb or something. I can't remember what it was, but it was just some kind of stained glass window. I had that in my memory. And I just sat there for the longest time just talking to God as a kid about the season in my life. My parents didn't know it. I didn't go tell them, like, hey, they said, what have you been I've been praying for the last 30 minutes. And I didn't even know if I viewed it as praying at that time. I just remember just talking to him, just kind of an awakening to, to the reality of him in my life. I, I didn't know what, you know, again, looking back on it, it was way, it's way more significant than I realized. I shared with you when I was 15 years old and a sophomore at the beginning of my sophomore year at Claremore High School, how this revival had taken place over the summer. And my whole class was impacted. And for the next few years, the class that I was in had, a, had several strong Christians. We would do our own Bible study in one of the teacher's classrooms three days a week before school started. And a student would lead it each day. We did it on our own. Nobody had to tell us to do it. But it was one of those things, again, that even as teenagers now, we still did dumb things. I still did teenage, teenage things, stupid things, crazy things, but God still spoke to me. He still dealt with me and, and other people, not just me, but other people in our class. He just, he speaks to our kids. He gives them direction. He, he reveals things to them. Sometimes it's, you know, it's kind of slow, and, and it's, you know, it's just kind of nudges here and there. Sometimes as you, get, as you get old enough, it even can be conviction for our relationships and how they operate. Or, and I'm not just talking about with the opposite sex, but with our parents. It's God speaking to us. And I'll just say this, and in a few months, we'll have a series on parenting and the truth of the matter is, I think we miss it as parents sometimes. We miss those moments and those opportunities to let kids know that was God speaking to you. That was him dealing with you. But what happens is because kids are messy. I mean, this are by nature's messy. They do. They break stuff. They tear things up. That, and they cost money. Have you noticed that? They do, yeah. Yeah, you better believe it a lot. Like I said, we're still fixing stuff. It's years later. How are you fixing it? We don't have the money. We're still doing our best to fix it. But because of that, and seemingly they, they, had no, they bring nothing to it, then we want to wait till they're adults in the church before we communicate to them that they matter. Hey, it's too late. It's too late for a lot of them. The greatest impact the church has on those that are like 16 years and younger and there's so many churches have neglected them and been indifferent to them. 
And I, and I love the local church, man. I'm not beating up on the local church. I get mad when people do that. And I don't want to do that at all. I, I don't think it's done on purpose or out of selfishness. There's just a lack of awareness. But we're not going to be that place. We're not going to be that place. We're, one of the next big things that we're going to do, and we'll have more information as time goes on, is we're going we're gonna, to, what we've done to this facility here and that type of thing, we'll do something similar for the age group of, of our newborns, our toddlers, our pre-Kers, and our elementary age kids. We're going to do like a, a, a kind of a renovation of that, and it's going to be cool, and it's going to say to kids, we've thought of you. And Yeah, go ahead and clap, man. Part of, part of their memory when they leave is that, that I hope that their story is, that, you know, the church I went to as a kid, they cared about me. Because we do. And one of the reasons is, is because kids learn to serve God by helping us. And the other reason is, is that God doesn't wait until the, you're in your 20s before he starts speaking. He speaks to kids in kid language. He talks to them. He deals with them. He sees them. I mean, we can look at Jesus, what he did when, you know, all these kids were coming around and the disciples were like, they were annoyed, man, their kids are making noise, get them away. And Jesus said, stop that. Don't keep them from coming to me. What's wrong with you? This is what the kingdom of God is like. I believe heaven, some people are going to be so uncomfortable in heaven because there are going to be so many kids there, it's going to be so noisy. I think about this, Tina and I, have had, we've had two miscarriages. I believe we have two children we have yet to meet in heaven. And so we have this, not just an obligation, but an opportunity to reach the lives of kids. We know this, that we encounter things at a young age, and we don't know how to process it. We don't know how to deal with it. We're just kids, and sometimes we don't even know to talk to our parents about it. We just think it's life, and so what happens is then we get married, and we end up getting married, and, you know, I, you know, Tina and I, we realized this when we got married that I showed up with wounds that she didn't create. She showed up with wounds that I didn't create. And one thing if marriage does, man, it exposes wounds. And so I think we lose sight of the fact that even though we see kids in this environment, in a safe environment, on a Sunday morning, we lose sight of the fact that they may be going home to something completely different. Like I said, in some ways, Tina's childhood was completely different than mine. We didn't have the same childhood. And some of you can relate to her childhood. I'll tell you right now, there are kids over there, some of them can relate to her childhood. And God hasn't abandoned him, and they're not invisible to him. He's not waiting for them to grow up before he begins to care about them. I will guarantee you that he's doing his best to speak into their little world, into their little heart right now. And reveal to them that they matter to him. Samuel had never heard the voice of God before, but God's still reaching out to his world. Samuel doesn't even know at the time that it's God speaking to him. But it is. God speaks to our kids. Go back to bed, Samuel. Uh, Eli said, uh, go back to bed, Samuel. Did not yet, uh, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. Let's go to point three. He said this, so the Lord called a third time. Remember, say third time. third time. 
And once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed and the Lord came and called as before. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. God's given this revelation to this boy, telling him what he's getting ready to do for the people that Samuel's a part of. The wild thing about it is, even though that God was speaking to Samuel, Samuel didn't know that it was God's voice. And so he went to the adult that was in the room, Eli, and he asked him, do you want something? No, it's not me. He went back again, heard the voice, he went back. Did you want something? No, something. The third time he went back and to the adult that was there. Did you want something? And finally, well, actually the second time he said, hey, if that happens again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so the only reason why Samuel knew that it was the voice of God is because he had, adult in the room, in the, he had an adult in the room that could direct him as to what he was supposed to do. He's just a kid. He didn't know. But there was an adult that wasn't perfect either, didn't have all the answers. Matter of fact, the first time had no ideas. He's probably just cranky like, hey, get, to get back to bed. That wasn't me. And the second time, hey, if that happens again, respond this way. And then we find out about Eli's life, that, that there are things that God's dealing with him about and just some things going on and he's getting ready to face some, some hardship, you know, and, and, and those kind of things. He was by no means perfect. And yet in the life of Samuel, one of the most significant spiritual leaders, matter of fact, in that season, the most significant spiritual leader, this boy was impacted by the person that was connected to him in the service of the Lord in the temple that they were at together. And here's what we have to understand if you're taking notes. Number three is this, is that our kids need us to teach them what God is doing in their life. The question is not, is God wanting to do something in our, ki in our kids' lives? And when I say, I'm not just talking about your personal kids, but, but the responsibility that we have as a church that show up here that God has given us, that he's entrusted us with. That he's entrusted us when their lives are precious. That they're having God do things in their world right now that make no sense to them. They, they don't know what's going on. They may not even be aware that God, God is doing it. And yet it is God. Samuel didn't even know that it was God speaking to him. And Eli's like, well, hey, next time, respond this way. In other words, Eli was teaching Samuel how to engage in God dealing with him. Kids still need that. That wasn't a different time from that standpoint. That Well, kids needed it then. They don't need that today. Five-year-olds still need that. Ten-year-olds still need that. Fifteen-year-olds still need that. This revival took place in our school. First Baptist had a youth minister. His name was Mike Thomas. He began to show up to football practice. He just watched his practice. He would encourage us. Got to know one of the guys and asked him if he could disciple him. Discipled him. Took him through like an eight-week thing. With the condition that when I'm through with you, you're going to disciple one of your teammates. 
Over a period of time, all of us had either been discipled by Mike Thomas or discipled by somebody that had been discipled by Mike Thomas. I didn't know to value it like I should. I love Jesus, but I like girls. And sometimes I like girls so much it can be a distraction how much I love Jesus. But I had this presence in my life. It wasn't perfect. But this guy in my life that would help me and direct me along the way. That, again, you know, at the time I, I, I liked, you know, the impact it was having. I had no idea how great the influence would be on me decades later. Because as God was dealing with me about my future, some of it I didn't understand. Some of it I'd try to reason out with my 15-year-old reasoning or my 16-year-old reasoning. And I shouldn't have enough life experience or even spiritual experience to know what all of it meant. So I had this person that was, he was not perfect, but he loved Jesus and he was available. And when I would sit and talk with him, he, he would do his best to direct me and how to respond to God's leading and what the scripture had to say about certain things. I didn't value him because he was the coolest guy in the world because quite honestly, he wasn't. He was just available. And he listened. And he knew he wasn't perfect. And I knew he wasn't perfect. But I knew he loved God, and I knew that he was further in his walk. And there were things that he knew that I don't. It impacted me. It's responsibility of every generation to evangelize the one behind it. And the condition of the next generation will reveal something about us as a generation. There's a reason why church attendance in our country is dropping in so many places. We're, we're the exception. I think we're like, I, I don't know whether it's like a 0.1% or some, some small percentage of churches that are bigger than they were before COVID. Overwhelming the majority of them that are still open are not. And a bunch of closed. We can't take for granted what God's done with us. It's, it's got to be prayed over and nurtured and committed to. And the problem is, is that we get indifferent because we think it's attached to the name on the outside as opposed to attached to the name of a child. And that's what gives it distinction. Because even as a kid, they can serve God when they help us. Even as a kid, God speaks to them. But because they are kids... They have to go to the adult that's in the room to explain to them. So sometimes the godly adult's not around. they got other things going on. So they go to the one that doesn't 
think that God exists. And that person in their lostness gives them some ridiculous answer in a moment that God had in a season. That opportunity is missed because the godly adult wasn't available. Our kids, they need us to teach them what God is doing in their life. When I say our kids, again, the ones that families have entrusted us with, God has entrusted us with in here. It's not a small thing. It's, for us, it's one of the most significant things. It's, it's one of the areas that we invest the most of our finances in. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.